This is an ABC podcast. This one is from Jeremy. Thanks, Tegan and Normie, for travelling through the land and helping us simple people by teaching us things we don't understand. I don't know how fast light travels or what is a quark or how my remote control works or what is matter that is dark. So thanks to all you scientists that are so smart and bold that invented many clever things like the fridge that keeps my beer cold. Ah, <laughs> fantastic. Was that Jeremy? Oh, oh. So... <laughs> So, Norman, I think I might need to give you a bit of context here. I think so, yeah. I was in Perth last week for a show to do with another podcast that I make called Occam's Razor. Find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. And when I was there, I went and paid a a visit to our friends at ABC Perth who have been playing CoronaCast on their afternoon show for pretty much two years straight. I don't know if they still do anymore. And I thought that she was going to ask me, to, to put people a science question or something to do with, yeah, science or health for people to win tickets to the Occam's Razor show that I was doing. No, she got people to write us a thank you poem. And honestly... Oh, that's sweet. I had tears in my eyes for one of them. Um, and then Jeremy, whose poem you just heard, is the one who won the tickets. Congratulations, Jeremy. And thank you, Perth. Well, let's get on with business. Yes, let's get on with CoronaCast, a show all about the coronavirus. I, of course, am Tegan Taylor, health reporter, coming to you from Jagera and Turable Land. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan, not a poet. And it's Wednesday, <laughs> March 31st, 2023, and I'm coming to you from Gadigal Land. And so, Norman, we've talked a lot over the last few weeks about the fact that the booster advice has changed. It's basically a get a booster now if it's been six months or more since your last encounter with COVID, either via a vaccination or via catching the virus itself. And for many people, that equates to being their fifth dose of the vaccine. So, so many questions coming through from people asking about young kids who aren't eligible for boosters. For a lot of them, it's been quite some time since they last had any COVID vaccine and people are wondering why it is that adults are being recommended to get more regular boosters but kids aren't. Look, it's essentially the risk versus benefit ratio. And the risk is tiny here. With the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, there is a small risk of myocarditis and pericarditis, inflammation around the heart. That's commonest, maybe 16 to 18, and it gets less common as you get younger. But nonetheless, it's a risk there too. Well, it's one in 50,000 probably at most in the groups that have it maximally and much less in younger kids. But nonetheless, there is a risk there. And the data suggests that for kids who don't have comorbidities, in other words, other problems like diabetes or chronic lung disease, the risk of having COVID is low. Mind you, that equation does not take into account long COVID because kids do get long COVID, but it is at a lower rate than adults. So that's essentially it, is that Atagi has decided that on the balance of probabilities, unless you've got a high-risk condition, you should just sit with it and not get a booster dose. This has always been the case with vaccines, though, isn't it? That there's always a tipping point where you're taking someone healthy and you're giving them an intervention, in this case a vaccine. The risk's very low of the vaccine, but you're balancing that against the risk of what might happen to them if they catch the disease. So many of the diseases that we vaccinate against in young kids are really severe in young kids. COVID's kind of unusual in that it tends to be less severe in younger kids. That's right. That's exactly what I was going to say. If you look at the immunisation schedule for babies and toddlers and preschoolers, they're all conditions that are actually serious childhood diseases. Polio, in the, in the days when you got smallpox, smallpox, measles, whooping cough and so on, those are all 
dangerous conditions and to preventable by having your immunisation in childhood. In- influenza is in there too, whereas COVID-19 gets more dangerous as you get older. And so that's the reason for that advice. Well, I think one of the reasons why we're getting a lot of questions about this is because in the United States, there is a provision for younger kids to get boosters, but Australia and other places like the UK aren't recommending it. No, and it's that balance of risk versus benefit. And remember, the United States has done it tough with COVID-19. And when you've got very large numbers of children being infected, you will get children who are seriously ill. But it's a relatively rare event. But again, that doesn't take into account long COVID, which is understudied in these children. So on boosters for adults, we are hearing anecdotally that some people aren't able to get the most up-to-date bivalent booster from their GP or pharmacy. That's because most of them, the supply isn't actually going to be in until mid-March. But we've also gotten questions from people saying that there's just confusion as to whether they're eligible for their fifth dose at all. Ellen's written in Norman saying that she went to her GP practice in Melbourne and was told that she wasn't eligible. It was only for people over the age of 65. Well, in fact, I've heard the same story from Western Australia too. And that's a misunderstanding on the, with all due respect to her GP. The Atagi advice is that if you haven't had a booster for six months or you haven't had a natural infection for six months, then you're eligible for a booster shot, whether that be your third fourth or fifth. I think where the confusion set in was that the Atagi advice wasn't that well uh, worded. The first part of their advice was over 65s, people with comorbidities get the booster, but it's also eligible for everybody 18 and over to have that done. So essentially the Atagi advice is 18 and over, but particularly if you've got comorbidities or you're over 65, but if you want to have it over the age of 18, you can. So speaking of things that are preventatives for COVID, well, we know vaccines work. There's been a lot of evidence to show that they're very, very safe and very, very effective. Much more mixed is even probably too generous of a word to use for ivermectin. It got a lot of publicity during the pandemic that it was perhaps a treatment for COVID. Many studies have shown that it really doesn't do anything at all, including yet another one that's just come out. Absolutely. Goodness knows why they're still doing them. But yep, just if you were in any doubt whatsoever, this is a study done last year from February to July. So more recent versions of the virus. They're looking at people who were in outpatients rather than dreadfully sick and found that ivermectin had no effect whatsoever. So presumably the idea here would be not to waste any more public money on ivermectin trials. It doesn't work. Well, this is what I was going to ask. Is there any benefit? Like the whole thing about science is that it should be able to be replicated. So we, we don't ever sort of just rely on one study. What is the benefit of doing multiple studies like this? And when do you call it on something? I suspect this was funded in 2021 and got going in 2022. Um, I'd be very surprised if any funding agencies funding any more trials into ivermectin. How many more times do you have to replicate? None. We've done it. So sticking with things that are a little bit controversial around COVID, Norman, because we're on a roll here, there's been more people talking about the lab leak theory, this idea that perhaps COVID-19, a SARS-CoV-2 virus, escaped from a lab in Wuhan rather than originating at the animal market there. Yeah, the weekend, the Wall Street Journal in the United States published a story saying the Department of Energy has supported the lab leak theory. 
And Why the Department of Energy? What would they have to do with well, it? Well, essentially, the Biden administration charged various bureaucracies in the United States who have... And the Department of Energy is a very interesting department in the United States, by the way. It is involved in health and all sorts of other things. It's more than just coal and gas and what you might think. It's quite a sophisticated department with a lot of scientific expertise. Anyway, the Department of Energy has come out and said it might well have been a lab leak but an accidental one and not due to biological warfare experimentation. But they did say that they've got very low confidence in their conclusion. So you couldn't bank their decision. And the intelligence agencies in the United States are still not coming down in favour, really one way or the other, in terms of where this came from. And if you remember rightly, Raina McIntyre in her book Dark Winter, uh, talking about this, and Raina thinks it's an alive possibility that it was a lab leak, but she also says that intelligence communities are often the best people to assess whether or not something was human-made or not. So the book is still open on this. Well, we try to stay away from politics on Coronacast and sort of stick to the health side of things um, as much as we can, but it does seem to be an... (sighs) A curious thing to keep alive when politically the implications of pointing the finger in this way are so charged and there does seem to be such thin evidence in either direction. Well, it might be charged, but it's important to know the answer here because if it was an accidental leak, then you need to be really careful about what experiments you do and the biosecurity that you put in place and you need to be constantly improving the way we research potentially dangerous viruses because they can get out. And there's no question, even if it wasn't a lab leak in this case, these viruses can leak out and no lab should be complacent about how they do this. Right. So even though it might only be a very slim possibility that it did escape from this lab, the fact that it is a possibility should be enough to make us all look very closely at our biosecurity. Yeah, and it should be divorced from politics because once politics gets in, it corrupts the whole discussion and you're not allowed to have a discussion about whether or not it was a lab leak because somehow it's political rather than saying, well, it was a lab leak, it was accidental, you know, and there's probably lessons that labs all over the world could take from that. Mm, indeed. Someone should write a poem about it. Yeah, maybe non-rhyming. <laughs> I, think I, am, I think iambic pentameter might not fit with the lab leak theory, but we'll work it out. That'll be next week on Coronacast. Well, here's competition for uh, Coronacast <laughs> listeners. Come in with, uh, it doesn't have to be iambic pentameter. Come in with your poem on where the virus came from. Good Lord. What are we talk about opening a can of worms, Norman? Well, let's see. See you next week. See you then.